0: Jesus radically upended their church when he said a couple of things. One, you're not allowed to say everything belongs to God, therefore I don't have to take care of my parents. But the biggest one was verse 14. Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, that is a lot earthier than we make it. I've had people try to make it, you know, what comes out of you? Like anger. And, and I'm going, no, no. He was referring to waste products, but he was doing it in an earthy, harsh way to get their attention. And then he sets up the apostles and tries to explain it to them a bit more in detail. Verse 18, are you so dull? Are you not getting it? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but in their stomach, and then out of the body. Wait a minute. What about Leviticus and all the rules about what you're allowed to eat or not? In a modern Jewish uh, kitchen, you actually have two counters. You have two sets of preparation area uh, because you cannot allow milk products to touch meat products, and there are certain rules about this, You also have two uh, sets of cutlery and plates, so if you have a non-Orthodox Jewish people come, they eat off one set. Uh, You cannot defile yourself by eating off of the same. One of my good friends who actually, long story, don't need to go into it now, he's the one that found the tumor and saved my life. He was a surgeon um, and saved my life sounds a bit too dramatic. Uh, He he gave me my life back. I'd been ill for way, way too long. I don't know that it would have killed me, but it would have removed me from usefulness. Um, Anyway, he was an Orthodox Jew. Although he's a good friend of mine, did the surgeries for free, we talked a lot, he never touched me. Never offered his hand, and I, I was not offended. I understood. Jesus is throwing it all away. Now, there's a little parenthetical statement. You see, by that means, a statement that's within parentheses. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Do you see that in your Bibles then? All right. First of all, you need to know there were no parentheses in the the Hebrew or in the Greek or in the Aramaic. These are added later. In fact, this is generally, and it is in this case, a sign that this phrase was entered later. Often, not terribly often, but sometimes when a monk would copy a passage, they would put an explanatory note or an exclamatory note, like behold or wow, that eventually worked its way into the text. This does not upset the text. It's not a salvation issue. Don't let it worry you. Just be aware, somebody writing this was going, okay, this is where he declared all foods clean. I'm not sure that's what he was doing. But regardless... He was saying, I'm changing things. You need to pay more attention to your behavior than you do to your rituals. How damning is that to religious people? You need to pay more attention to your behavior and your character and less to your rituals. Wow. Gandhi famously said, he had nothing against our Christ. In fact, he admired our Christ. But he had everything against Christians who did not act like Christ. Another great philosopher once said he had nothing against Christianity. He just thought it was a shame it had never been tried. And that's, that's kind of heartbreaking. It's funny, but it's heartbreaking. Jesus is saying all of these things were supposed to help you form your character. They didn't. So we're going to go we're going to talk character now. So he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is what it is from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Um, There is William Bacchus. I don't know that William's alive now, William, like we do lunch. Uh, Dr. Bacchus was a Christian psychiatrist who wrote quite a few books on the same theme. And one, uh, uh, the first one, and the only one you really need to read, because the rest of them are variations on that theme, but if, if you're interested, you can read them, obviously, is Telling Yourself The Truth. Telling Yourself the Truth by William Bacus B A C K U uh, S, published originally in the in the around 1980, I think, and still in print. And it was about dealing with the lies we tell ourselves about why we sin, adultery, addictions, and the like. And he talked to uh, one illustration was of a man that had. Um, a sexual addiction of sorts, to where he, he just kept going to strip clubs, and he knew it was wrong, and so he was even in therapy to stop it, and he hadn't gone for a while, and then he did. And Doctor Backus said, "Why?" And he said, "I I don't know why. It just I was just driving. The next thing I knew, I was in there." And he goes, "No." He's then he went on a long lecture about voluntary and involuntary muscles. There's some things you can't help right now. If your stomach is gurgling because you forgot breakfast, nothing you can do about that. Peristalsis will have its way. If uh, your heartbeat, you can work somewhat mentally to slow it or to um, to make it speed up, but that's pretty much out of your control. Respiration, perspiration, these are all involuntary responses of, of um, and, and processes of your script they're they're automatic or autonomic They're, however he said he opened up a city map and he said what is your route home the guy goes well i drive right by it he says why he says it's the one my way home he says there are other ways you chose to drive by it now let's talk about the brake pedal how is it applied And He walked him through all of those decisions. It's kind of like I've had young couples come to me before that were just uh, dating and then they found themselves in bed and they would say, but it just happened. Um, There's a decision every button. There are a lot of decisions. Now I'm not trying to be harsh or judgmental here. I understand how uh, hormones and the moment can overwhelm an individual, but you still need to have the power of choice. And Jesus is saying, it came out of you because it was in you. You let it live in you. And that's a, that's a very damning statement. Not just for them, but for me. Maybe not for you, but every so often I'll find, oh, there it is. It's in me too. You know, I'll be just wanting to get to the airport thinking, I'm going to go spread the gospel in Canada. And Somebody in front of me does something stupid and slows traffic to a crawl. And I'm thinking, kill him. Come on, Lord, just kill him. If I just had two machine guns on the front of my truck. Now yeah, now you're talking. Or just sit back, at, sit back there and go, I'm crushing their head. I'm crushing their head. You know, that sort of thing. Um, if, if you've never done that, you will now. Um, the, the, whole, the whole thing, I'd, where'd that come from? It must have already been inside. Jesus warns us. That in this new system, it is what is inside that matters. Because it can't come out unless it's in. Um, We have learned in in psychology, we don't know a lot in psychology, frankly. If you're not aware of this, and I I have a doctorate in psychology, so I'm allowed to say this. um, Over 70% of all psychological experiments cannot be duplicated. You know what that means? It means that our finding wasn't a finding. It was an idea. Uh, And so be aware of this. But there are certain facts that we do know of. We do know that a thought has to then take residence in the head to become a belief, which then becomes an attitude, which then becomes an action. A thought. Woman mistreats you, all women are from the devil. Well, that became a belief, which then becomes an attitude, which shapes your actions. See what I mean? Jesus is saying, watch the thoughts going in because the actions are going to come out. Watch what you do. Guys, in particular, I've had men say, I didn't mean it, I, it just slipped out. Uh, it got in first, that's why I'm concerned. Be careful what you say because it, in, it reveals, as one uh, minister told me years ago, he says, we can't cut open people to see what's inside them. We have to wait to see what comes out. And I thought that was pretty smart for a country boy, and he was a country boy. Jesus left that place, and I love this one. This is a very unique story. Jesus left this place and went into the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. I'm assuming the people who owned the house knew it, but you know what I mean. He was just trying to be quiet. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as he heard she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. Now why is this set up? It's very important, because this is a story that really disturbs a lot of people. Because Jesus is about to be rude. Not as rude in Mark as in some of the others, but rude so Jesus wants to be left alone a woman walks into the house well that's unacceptable because um, she is not just a woman who doesn't live in that house that's one problem but she's a woman talking to a rabbi another problem another problem she's a Greek talking to a Jewish man that's a problem and she's from Syrian Phoenicia which means she's she's really Greeky Greek she's really, incredibly, not a Jew. All right? So she has no business talking to a rabbi. The rabbi has zero obligation to her. In fact, according to the old law, the rabbi would be made unclean by engaging in conversation with her. And he would have to go through a period of cleansing himself and his spirit to get away from her now it's not just because she's a woman that just added to it sorry I didn't create the world this is just the way it was she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter Jesus replies first let the children eat all they want he told her for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs anybody uncomfortable yet? what did he call her? In the Bible, you're allowed to say it. Called her a dog, and her people dogs. I'm not going to tell you why yet. Let's just keep working with this. We're not uncomfortable enough yet. She said, "Lord, well, that's interesting. Sign of respect. I don't know that I would have responded that way." And so I'm giving her a little kudo here. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, if you've read this in the other passages, you know that there are a couple more exchanges, and they weren't any prettier. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child laying on the bed and the demon gone. Uh, My atheist friends love this passage because they'll say, look, Jesus was a jerk. He was insulting. He was a jerk. He rejected her. And even on top of that, she outsmarted him. And I just smiled. When was the last time anybody outsmarted God? Well, she was a Greek. And he was in the vicinity of Tyre where there were many, many, many Greeks. What was the major entertainment of Greeks? Not Romans. Romans liked to throw people at each other to kill each other. Greeks, it was argument. Read um, Acts 17 sometime. That's what they liked to do. Argue. So she comes in, Jesus has a problem. The Jews aren't going to take him seriously if he engages with her as an equal. The Greeks won't take him seriously if he doesn't engage in argument. So he allows an argument, well actually he starts an argument and loses it. So he can do good for this woman's daughter. He was willing to lose face and be thought of as a jerk if that meant her daughter would be okay. Does that change this? How can I prove it? Oh. Besides the whole God doesn't lose arguments thing. Look at verse 29. Um, Let's play grammar school. For such a reply you may go. You may go is, don't, don't get specific. What tense? Or what voicing? It's future, right? You may now leave. The demon has left. Past tense. Jesus healed the daughter as soon as the mama asked. He just had to find a way to get them both out of there. And he did. He set it up to where the Greeks have to say, well, you know, that was a great argument. That was fantastic. And the Jews could say, well, he wasn't welcoming her in and being chummy, so he could continue what he was doing. Jesus was not as interested in his reputation as we are. you thought of that? He was just interested in doing good, regardless of who got the credit, or even if he got looked down upon for doing it I find that fascinating and I find this a fascinating story because of the brilliance of it and how easy it is to miss the brilliance because we see the insult and we're going Jesus wasn't acting very Christian people he just finished talking about stuff that comes out of your body Um, Jesus is going to surprise you if you take away the halo colored glasses and just look at him But he's really going to impress you if you do that. He's going to amaze you. The hospice workers, some of them, pulled me off to the side during one of the breaks. During this eight and a half hours or so, I don't sit down. I don't get breaks. And during lunch, I don't get to eat. The reason is they come to talk. That's the way this works. It's part of, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I'll do it until I can. not But some of them would come to me and say, how do you keep your faith in this situation? How do you keep? And my response wasn't well. You know the evidences are. My response is always: the more you know Jesus, the real Jesus, and read these stories, the more you realize He was in the dirt in the ditch with you, and He says, "Follow Me. We can do this." I, I truly believe that. That's why we have to focus on Jesus' stories. Um, any any questions or comments you'd like to feedback on this one? because we hit it pretty fast, but has this story always bothered you? Shouldn't. But that's because we're so removed from that culture. Well, episodes. That's all Mark is, is episodes. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten towns, and they're all kind of small. There, some people brought to him a, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, that's not a, a healing. is not what they're asking for here. They're asking for a blessing. And I, I find that wonderful and sweet. They cared for him. Next phrase, after he took him aside. People, it's those phrases that make Jesus. Have you ever had the misfortune of watching religious TV? I, uh, I don't, because I can get in a bad mood without outside help. I have watched, um, when, we, when we first moved to America, we, we were in Ohio, and in northern Ohio was a church run by a guy named Ernest Angsley. Oh, you heard of him. I went by his church about 10 years ago. It's already just kind of falling apart. And his whole thing is, but at the time, it, very kind of a sissy prissy man. And always, you know, out demon and, you know, hail and, you know, whacking people on the head and, and making them learn how to heal and so, hear and, and speak and, you know, say baby. And they go, bye And they go, yeah, they're healed. And I'm going, wait a minute. I, you know, say onomatopoeia, come on, let's do something, paramecium, let's do that one. But it's too late. But did he ever take anybody aside privately and show them any dignity? And I don't want to pick on Ernest, maybe he's doing all that, or did it, I don't know if he's even alive, uh, sincerely. You know, Oral Roberts did a lot of the same stuff and the like, and, alike. and remember, remember when I was a kid, you could buy Oral Roberts records, in case you missed the sermon, I guess, and uh, I... I said something once that got me in trouble at a friend's house because he'd bought one. He wanted me to listen to it. And I said, how come the hole in the middle doesn't heal up? And that did not go well. I was about 10. I've always been a problem kid. I've always. Somebody sent me a note the other day. said, I think you're one of God's favorites. And I wrote back, I think I'm one of God's special kids. Um, I don't think I'm a favorite. I think I love everybody. And okay, Patrick, you know, um, He took him aside, no show, no big rah, 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 away from the crowd. In case you didn't get the first phrase, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. My grandsons love the fact that he spit. Why did he do all of this? I mean, Jesus healed people at a distance, didn't he? He just did. He just did. Why would he do all of this? I don't know, but I have a really strong opinion. How's that? Can I do that? Remember the time where he, he actually makes some mud and puts it on a guy's eyes and then tells him to wash it off and the guy can see? That one, I think, a, a couple of things, but we'll start with this one. Sometimes you need ceremony. sometimes you need it your marriage is more than just coupling just hey we get along pretty well there there's a ceremony to it even if you're not doing it religiously but in front of a judge there is a ceremony you go through a formalization that this is who we are you kind of need that's why we do funerals we don't do funerals for dead people they're not there we do it for the people that are behind. Why do we say all kinds of nice things about the dead person when they're not there? That's what bothers, bothers me about funerals is that people are going to say all kinds of nice things about me and I'm going to miss it by like two days. But why, why, why do we do that? It assures the community. It's, it's our ceremony that we did love this person and we treated them well. We esteem them. We mark their passing. We've had... Two families lose mothers this week. I'm not making this a big deal. The shepherds know it. We had a death in my family this week. Uh, My adopted sister committed suicide on Tuesday. So I dealt with that in between these others, and I'll be dealing with that again this week. There wasn't a chance for a funeral for her. She estranged herself from us. A coroner got the body. There's no closure in these things. There's no sitting down to say why, what was going through your mind. There's no closure for this. That's what, when a a plane flies into a building in New York, that's why we're still haunted all these years later. There was no ceremony. There was no saying goodbye. There was none of the easing toward Jordan. It was all done. We need ceremony. Sometimes people need ceremony. Some people don't. I'm good with no ceremony. My wife is not. She wants ceremony. This is the way we do it. Okay. (laughs) And marriage, think about marriage. Every guy wishes there were less ceremony. Uh, A lot of people in in Britain would come across the border into Scotland to get married at Gretna Green, which is a wee village just on the other side of the the Scottish-English border. And the reason is, in England, you had rules about how old you had to be, and then they had the permission of the parents. Then you had to publish the bans. Do you know what publish the bans mean? You had, to, you had to publish, this person wants to marry this person, this is what their family tree is, this family tree. And that gave people a right to come and say, well, no, because this, that, or the other. Um, in Scotland, you didn't have to do that. All you had to do was say you wanted to be married and write your names together in a book. And then And so uh, uh, the guy that ran, he was a blacksmith in Gretna Green. There's an anvil there, still there, hundreds of years. People would come there, they'd write their names in a book, he'd bang the anvil, you're married. Every guy thinks, brilliant. (laughs) And every woman goes, no, I want the dress. I want my friends in ugly dresses. I want him up here. I want the music, and I want it this way. And then the mamas add. They add. They, go, oh yeah, we need flying cupids. We need, you know, there's all oh, ceremony. This man, for whatever reason, needed ceremony. But there's something else here. He looked up to heaven and said with a deep, with a deep sigh, said to him, Ephatha. He spoke in the language of his childhood, when was the last time he did that in scripture? We, we did the story here. When Jesus saw the little girl who had died and he said, Talitha Ka'um, little girl, get up. He spoke in the language of his childhood. If I'm, um, if i Stub my toe, I'm most likely going to speak in English because I've been around English my whole life. But the language of my people is Gaelic. And there are times I'll just say things in Gaelic because I'm not cursing, but it sounds like I am. And so it feel, it, it, you get the same sense of relief without the guilt. Um, if, if, you look at the, if you look outside and it's raining and you go, it sounds better. That way it just means there's water in the day, which is the way the Gaelic people say it's raining. Uh, and again, little kids will go out and play in Gaelic and come back into the school and have to speak in English. Jesus would have had to speak in the common areas in Greek and Hebrew, but in his head, he's still Aramaic. And so whenever he was touched, a deep sigh. Jesus doesn't like our suffering. He's not happy about it. And, and you might say what I say a lot, and that is, well, then just take it. But his timing is different than our timing. And sometimes Moses has to go live somewhere else 40 years before God's timing is right. Sometimes the timing. I don't get it, but that's why I like that old country song that Americans would sing and until recently, I've not heard it for a long time, we will understand it all by and by. I, I, that's always given me a bit of comfort. And I always hear people say, when I get to heaven, I have this list of questions and I going to ask God. Not me. I get there, I'm tearing up the list. I don't want to annoy anybody. In case there's an HOA in heaven and I get kicked out, I'm, I want to I behave. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. So there's several miracles here. Not just healing of the ears. Not just being able to speak. But he was able to speak plainly. How long does it take to learn how to speak? You might say, well, you've heard all those words. To learn how to form them. And move your tongue around. Are you aware that, let's say, I'm going to pick me. I'm not going to pick you. I'm 60 years old. I love languages. I just love them. If I were to decide to learn a non-Indo-European language like Mandarin, best of luck. Because at this stage in life, it's nothing to do with mental. The tongue cannot learn to form certain sounds after the age of seven or eight. Hebrew, for example, Hebrew, I love this one. um, They have a letter called Zah. The best way to, to spell it is T S C H V. It's the first letter in the word collar. Zavadi. If you were, did not grow up saying za, or if you did not grow up doing um, glottal stops like in Scotland and English, if they say girl, it's guttle. And water. You know, tell the guttle to bring the water in. If you've not learned that by seven or eight, you're probably not going to learn it. He was able to speak plainly. There there are connections being made. This is a mass of miracles. But to me, it's the least impressive part of the story. The the most impressive is Jesus gave him dignity, privacy, and he cared. That's what I, I take from this. In fact, dignity and privacy. He commanded them not to tell anyone. Now, what are the odds... Wait, Joe just heard me, and he responded. How'd that happen? Um, What cover story are you going to give? Well, we hit him on the head with a rock, and I don't think Jesus intended for them to never bring it up. I think it was, don't tell anybody now. Let me get out of town. But that's my opinion again. So you've gotten two opinions in one story, and I'm not charging you any extra. But isn't that great? It's just, the more you know about Jesus, I know I keep saying this, but wow. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. You know, you can tell people sometimes, but they get so excited. We were in Appalachia once. Um, I think it was eastern Kentucky, but I might be wrong. I was a boy, probably 12 or so. Remember, Dad would always come in and out of Appalachia. He'd, he just had a heart for those people. So we'd be there for a month. We'd be there for a year. We'd be there and then gone. And, and, and so I, I, you know, I was always you know, beamed in from um, somewhere else. Evidently, they were throwing a big deal to have a, you know, yay, the preacher's coming to, to speak to us. So they'd, they'd splurged on a bunch of watermelon and put it in tubs of ice in the backyard. And they told the kids, don't tell them, it's a surprise. As soon as we got out of the car, here comes this little boy on a tear, skids to a stop in front of us, gets all serious, and goes, there, there ain't any watermelon and ice back behind the house. <laughs> I have never forgotten that. I thought that was, even as a kid, I was thinking, all right, that's pretty cool, I, I, I like that. Uh, the more he told them, don't tell, the more they couldn't help it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Any other questions here or comments? I always get a silly grin on my face when I start talking about Jesus. I'm sorry, but I can't help it. It's just pretty cool. Kind of like when I talk about Cami, I kind of get all moon-eyed. During those days, another large crowd appeared. Mark puts it this way to let you know, this is not a repeat with changed numbers. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to give them uh, to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Does this sound familiar? Should. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Can we stop for a minute? Is anybody else getting deja vu? Well, there are scholars who believe this is a copy of the same story. That there weren't two things, there was just one and two versions of it were put down by Mark. I'm going to go with another one. Sometimes God has to drag us through the same illustration again and again and again and again before we get it. At least it does me. Um, how, what about you? Where you'll say, you know, well, Let's say you were dating, and you say, oh, Lord, let this one be the one. Two weeks later, you're saying, Lord, smite them, smite them, Lord. And, and you're, you're thinking, I'll be, I'll be lonely forever, and then you find somebody else, and then you forget that, and God keeps giving us blessings, and we keep forgetting we've been blessed. We forget to trust him. Maybe it's just me. How many loaves do you have? You know what I think of when I hear that phrase? God and Moses on the mountain. Moses, you're 80 years old. It's time. (laughs) I'd like for you to leave your comfortable home family, being head of Sheep Sinai division, and I want you to go back to Egypt where you're wanted for murder, and I want you to approach the authorities and tell them you're taking their workforce. And Moses doesn't think this is a good idea. So Moses comes up with a lot of excuses. I don't know your name. I'm a bad stutterer. I, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, You know, how will they? And then he goes, well, how will they know that, that, that you sent me? And God's question to him is one of my favorite questions in all of Scripture. What do you have in your hand? Just a stick. But Moses did a lot of good with that stick. I also find it hilarious that God says, throw it down. He does, turns into a snake, and Moses runs. And I'm thinking, he's 80. What kind of running at this stage really was it? And then God tells it, you see, it gets even funnier. God says, go back and pick it up. The scripture says he went back and picked it up by the tail. <laughs> he's not dumb. He's going to pick it up by the other end. Um, and therefore, it's biblical to run from snakes. I just want to put that in there. Saw a snake in my yard once, killed it with a hoe, and my cable went out for a week. Anyway, no, it didn't. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I just thought about it. Uh, What do you have? God is not interested in what you would do for him if you won the lottery. He's not interested in what you would do for him if you were young and in perfect health. He just asked you, what do you got? Do that. Use that. You, say, well, you can't do anything with this. Isn't that not the same thing that they said with the 5,000 and the 4,000? Yeah. So how many times has God had to show us that? <coughs> what do you got? Hmm. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground when he taking the seven loaves and, and giving thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. God likes to rub in the lessons. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. By the way, if you don't really get why we'd have to hear this twice, why do we make the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over? Because and over? we haven't learned it the last time. So I don't see this as necessarily a different version of the first story. I just see it as, this is the way we we are. Uh, Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, and got into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Why wouldn't he give these guys a sign? Don't you want to get the Pharisees on your side? Well, maybe not. But, hey, getting them off your back would be nice. Because signs don't convert people. I want you to think about that for a while. You might think, oh yeah, they do. How long do they stay converted? Until they want another sign. Signs don't do it. It is life that does it. Faith that does it. All the big, whoo, I've had people say, well, the Holy Spirit came over us. And all these great many signs I'm saying. And he's doing them in a building full of people that already believe in him. Why isn't he showing up in Kenya? Oman, Saudi Arabia. And it goes real quiet. I'm not a professional doubter. God can do what God wants to do. But miracles will happen when God wants them to. Not when we demand them. God is not a cosmic vending machine put in three prayers, get out one healing. He has something in his mind, and we have to decide whether we're with him or not. Think about that this week, and we can start there next week. Not next week, in two weeks. Next week is Resurrection Sunday.